Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I am honored to welcome the president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, John Stone Street. How are you doing, John? Doing great, Clay. Thanks so much. Great to be on with you. Well, thank you. And uh, I wanted to start, as I typically do with guests, uh, just by asking for some background. How did you get to the Colson Center? What was the path that led you there? Well, I can assure you uh, there was no strategic plan. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, God is, uh, is kind. I uh, grew up in a Christian home. And it was really my freshman year in college that I got introduced to uh, the idea of thinking like a Christian and not just kind of obeying, not just the moral side of it, uh, not just the uh, personal salvation side of it, but also that Christianity is a way of thinking about all of life in the world. And for me, that was revolutionary. For me, um, uh, it just was uh, almost like being you know, saved again. Uh, when I realized that it's not only uh, loving God with my heart and my soul, but also with my mind and what that means. And that was just that was just huge. And of course, one of the guys that was talking about that at the time was Chuck Colson. He was really pushing uh, on his daily radio program, Breakpoint, and um, his books, uh, How Now Shall We Live, and The Faith, and The Body, and Loving God, that that, you know, really uh, that Christianity had to do with every aspect of life, not just kind of our personal private feelings or our personal private morality. And of course, that's also at the time when culture is changing a lot and changing fast. Um, you know, we, we, we are downstream from all of those big shifts and culture continues to change at a fast pace. So, it, it just for me was uh, was great. And uh, along the way, I got connected with, with Chuck Colson near the end of his life and and got to travel and speak uh, at various events with him and um, just super honored. I, I, I look back on those that time and I just think God was so kind to, to let me be a part of the last several years of his life, Chuck's life and ministry. And uh and so here I am, um, you know, it was kind of a calling uh, that happened because of, you know, God's providence. That is great. And that ties into a theme that is uh, evident on the ColsonCenter.org website. And I'm going to ask you about that momentarily. But for some of the listeners who may not know much about Chuck Colson, he was, if you've heard the name and are like, where have I heard that name? He was in the Nixon <laughs> White House uh, he was the one who pled guilty because he had been convicted in his heart before mm -hmm. he was charged with any criminal conspiracy related to Watergate. And so uh, once he found himself behind bars, he decided, well, now uh, I have this relationship with the Lord. He's got me here. Must be a reason for it. I'm going to start a ministry. And he started Prison Fellowship, which is still going strong. And uh, so, John Stone Street, I'm thankful that you continue not only uh, some of that legacy of teaching that he had, but also uh, Breakpoint. And you have uh, a lot of forms of outreach. You've got the Breakpoint podcast. You've got Upstream, uh, another podcast. And then one your wife does, Strong Women. So you've got mm -hmm. a, a great number of uh, 
resources there. You also have the uh, Wilberforce Weekends, and that ties in with your Colson Fellows program. Um, I'll invite you to share whatever you want about those individual outreaches, but I want to also ask you, how do you ensure with such a diverse sort of outpouring of your messages that all of those elements are synergistic and increase the overall impact that you're able to have? You know, that's a great, great question. And uh, we, we, we work really hard at that. I can't say we always bat a thousand because I like new stuff. <laughs> I like to do new things. And so did Chuck, by the way. We always joke that, you know, God loves us and Chuck had a wonderful plan for our life. And uh, that's kind of how we uh, oftentimes advance. But, you know, there's a couple things that are that are that are uh, uh, that I think keep everything grounded. First of all, is that when we talk about the challenges of the cultural moment, which is one of the things that is, um, you know, uh, a feature of all the different products, all the different content all the different podcasts and programs is, is how do we think about the real challenges of culture? We always want to do it not from a position of just outrage or a position of frustration or fear, but to do it by being solidly grounded in a, in a Christian worldview. We call that keeping the story in the moment straight. So we have the challenges of the moment, but the moment is part of a larger story, and that larger story is what uh, we get from Scripture, the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so we're not uh, we're, we're trying not to play cultural whack-a-mole, if you know what I mean. Just like another issue pops up and we try to smack it on the head. Uh, we want to um, uh, really approach everything that we do uh, from a, a framework of truth. And when you have that, you have a level of confidence. It doesn't mean the issues become less serious. It does mean, though, that you are confident in what is true and you conf you're confident in the work of God in history. You're confident in what Christ has accomplished. You're confident in where history is headed. And that changes our tone and posture. It's really hard right now to do something that Jesus told us all to do, which is speak the truth in love. Um, because love today oftentimes means mushiness or spinelessness, and that's not love. It's not love if it's not true, uh, and it's not true if it's not loving. So we got to hold those two things together. So that's another thing that we try to um, hold together. One of our kind of internal slogans is outrage is not a strategy. Uh, you know, there, there are certainly things to get mad at, and Jesus got mad, and Jesus's people have gotten mad. But um, you know, it's kind of like, okay, once you get mad, what are you going to do next? And um, to have that kind of, you know, confidence that truth and love do go together and that um, the church actually has something to, to offer the world. That's ways that we kind of all push forward. And, and, then, and then the last thing I think that really characterizes all of our stuff is, and all the stuff we try to do, is that we're not the heroes here. Um, you know, uh, it, it, we're not successful if the Colson Center says something really clever. Now, I do think sometimes we say some clever stuff, right? I mean, we're trying to say some clever stuff. Um, but, you know, all of us, every Christian is called to live out their faith where God has put them. So it's not just what happens in D.C. and Hollywood that matters. What happens in D.C. and Hollywood matters. Don't get me wrong. But what happens in Paducah? What happens in Colorado Springs? What happens in the millions of communities between here and there? And God's called us all. Uh, to follow him in a particular time and particular place. Hold that so, thought, John, because I'm going to ask you to dive deeper into that. Uh, okay, I'll hold tight. Yep. Uh, that that is a 
definite topic area that because I was going to be able to talk to you today, I want to dive into. But uh, I want to short circuit your answer because it is so rich. Uh, there's a part of it that makes you one of the absolute perfect guests for this program, Core Principles. Uh, we try to look at uh, relevant topics through the lens of unchanging, objective truth, capital T truth. And because I'm a geek, I did a mathematical algebraic proof that truth and love don't just go together. They are equivalent, mathematically equivalent. Mm. Uh, and it's based on uh, scripture. Jesus is the truth. And we also know that Jesus, God, is love. And so they are equivalent. Uh, I really like that aspect of, uh, of what you were saying about that. Well, uh, because you have these different areas of focus, um, and because I just short-circuited your answer when we're getting to the, the part I really wanted to hit, um, I like this general observation you make. Uh, it's on the front page right now of colsoncenter.org. It's a message I've heard you speak about, John Stone Street, and uh, you take it from when Paul was speaking in Athens. It's uh, recorded in Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to briefly quote what Paul told him that he wrote down for us and ask you to dive deeper into it. Uh, he said to these folks in Athens, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, God, marked out their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. Now, that's uh, the time and the place that you're talking about, John Stone Street. So could you share with listeners a bit about that profound observation and how it came to mean so much to you at the Colson yeah. Center. I, there's so much richness. I mean, just even hearing it again. Um, Paul is in Athens. Athens is not a Jewish place. It's not a Christian place. They don't believe in one God. They believe in many gods. Um, Luke actually says there in describing the scene that Paul's speaking to Epicureans and Stoics, and they have very specific beliefs about the world. Epicureans believe that the gods had lost interest in humans. And so we were kind of all on our own. And that's why so much Epicureanism becomes hedonism, you know, because no one's watching when the cat's away, the mice will play sort of thing. The Stoics believed that free will was an illusion, that the gods controlled every aspect. And we were just kind of deceiving ourselves if we think we had any sort of real uh, free will. So Paul's speaking to this group of people and he doesn't, he talks back and goes, this is what you need to know about God. First of all, that there's one creator. Second, uh, you can worship him. However you, you know, you could try to worship him however you want, but that doesn't change who he is. You know, he's not up to being manipulated. He is who he is. So you got to get God right. Third, that God has a plan for the whole creation. He created everything. And he wants humans to fill out the whole creation to bring him glory. And then he gets specific and he goes and he determined the exact times in the exact places for each of us. And he did it so that as the passage continues, we'd all be able to reach out and find him. 
Like he actually wants to be known. What a powerful insight that is. Now you put all that together and you get a, not only a, um, a source for personal morality, you get a complete worldview. Like this is the plan. The creation has a purpose. God wants you to know him. And he puts you in the exact times in the exact places, which he did so that you could know him. And then it's with, with God determined the exact times and places in which we live, then that's not just an accident of our life. That's not just kind of an accidental context. We don't, we don't find ourselves, you know, in this time and in this place by chance, right? And, and so then you got to go, okay, well, what's happening in this time in this place? Well, right now, you know, the America is reeling uh, from a set of, you know, mass shootings. What, what's happening? Um, we have uh, crazy inflation. We have, uh, uh, you know, uh, our sense of borders and laws are, are, are really gutted. Uh, what's happening? Uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, a great plague on American society for 40 years, is vulnerable for the first time, Clay, in our lifetimes. None of those details are accidents. Like God wanted us in this time and in this place uh, to, uh, and, and that's the context in which we live and follow him. So there, th that means there's a really public aspect to our faith. That means that our cultural moment is a calling. We're called to this cultural moment. And man, when you compare that to what other religions, other worldviews, other philosophies say, it gives your life meaning. It gives purpose. We're here for a reason. And man, that's just come to mean so much to me and to really shape how I understand um, faith. And that's why Chuck Colson's story, which you told earlier, was so important. Chuck found himself, you know, at the pinnacle of worldly success uh, in the Nixon administration and immediately has this big public fall from grace, but comes to Christ and realizes that the time and place God put him, which at that point was prison, <laughs> was part of his calling. And then getting out of prison, realizing, wait a minute. The church needs to be mobilized. You know what was happening at that time and place in history? The prison population was exploding. And everyone said, oh, it's because of poverty. It's because of education. It's because of race. And I just came across this remarkable. I was looking at some of the things Chuck said in light of the uh, shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And, you know, all the reasons that people point to almost always miss the point. Um, and that's what Chuck said. You know, he was speaking at a congressional hearing on prison reform. And he said, you know, all the things that people say, that it's education, that it's race, that it's uh, poverty. Uh, no, the real issue is the, the loss of moral values in America. And if that keeps going on, the justice system won't be able to respond. Yes, sir. And he proved to be right. Same thing, isn't it? Obviously. You know, how many so. times? Yes. Yeah. It's like, w what causes these things? Well, it's, it, it's, it's this, or it's that it's, 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 it's violent video games or it's guns or it's families or it's mental illness or it's, and, and it, you know, all of those things are certainly factors, but, the, but at the bottom, at the, at the end of the day, we're a culture that does not know how to raise young men to be young men. And until we figure out that moral formation piece, um, it's going to be hard to see progress in, 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 uh, in this area. That is so important. And I hope that listeners comprehend, uh, all that you just said, because it's vital and it ties into, uh, 
all the issues that we face. Yeah, it does. Uh, and that's the, the beauty of what God is doing in our lives is that uh, he has plans. God says, I know the plans I have for you mm-hmm. and they're to prosper you and not to harm you. Um, well, when we think about then uh, that God has placed us here and now, it's encouraging to me to also know that he has equipped us. Uh, he doesn't yeah. just leave us as orphans. Uh, we can tap into his power, which is the only thing that gives us hope that we can win over these challenges that we face. So as we apply those principles, John Stone Street, uh, you've mentioned a couple of the issues that we're wrestling with. What would you highlight as the most critical few issues among all the ones that are overwhelming us that that we might give some of our uh, time and effort and thought and prayer to? Yeah. You know, um, I've been thinking a lot about, I'm going to hopefully uh, not lose everybody by quoting a 19th century philosopher. Uh, but one of the great atheist thinkers in history was a guy named Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche was a, a, a consistent atheist. In other words, he believed that God did not exist and he was willing to take that train all the way to the end of the track. And most atheists stop. Um, and one of the things he wrote was something called the parable of the madman. And in the parable of the madman, Nietzsche talks about how uh, uh, if there is no God, then we no longer have a sense of up and down. We know we don't have any light. He, he talked about it, it kind of like being the earth being unchained from the sun. You know, the sun doesn't isn't just there and the earth doesn't just revolve around it. The sun gives the earth light and heat and, um, you know, gravity. And so that, that helps us determine direction all kinds of things. And if the sun went away, then everything would be up in the air. Nietzsche wrote that at the end of the 1800s, it's all the way through the 20th century. You can talk about Nazism and communism and fascism and all its various forms, but especially communism was an attempt to order the world without God. And it was a disaster. Well, we're still attempting to order the world without God. Maybe we're not doing it in a communist way in the West, although there's plenty of socialist tendencies. But we are a world that has lost any sense of up and down, any sense of what everything is about. If you lose a creator, then the universe isn't a creation. If the universe isn't a creation, there's no purpose. There's no intent. Clay, I, I think when you look at what we're dealing with right now, I think that the most fundamental issue that we're wrestling with is a catastrophic loss of meaning and purpose, a catastrophic loss of morality, and a catastrophic loss of identity. So those three things, first of all, the meaning. If you don't know what, what, the, what, what the why of life uh, then uh, you, what you see are people's lives coming apart. So we see that in some of these acts of mass violence. I think you can even see it in these airplane incidents. I think you can see it certainly in the rise of what's called deaths of despair, um, addictions, overdoses, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And uh, the tendency that you have to look to the state to solve all of your problems. I mean, that comes from a, 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 a thinking about life in a way that there's not any up and down. The, the, the morality piece of the catastrophic loss of morality is, um, you know, that 
the idea that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And even more than that, that there's a way the universe ought to be, you know, that there, there ought to be families raising kids and there ought to be in you fill in the blank. When you lose that, then everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And then the catastrophic loss of identity. Um, that is a huge thing. Um, one of the most, one of the core principles uh, of a Christian framework is that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. That gives us dignity and value, not based on what we look like, not based on anything on the outside, but something we all share on the inside. You get rid of God, you get rid of the image of God. You get rid of the image of God and suddenly you don't have anything to ground our identity in. We are a culture right now in a perpetual search for identity, so much so that we're telling little kids to stunt their natural development and to even amputate perfectly healthy body parts so that they could, quote unquote, know who they are. This is catastrophic. And we could look at the gender issue and see how confused we are and the problem for, you know, women's sports, which is there, the safety issues for kids and, and all that's right. But upstream from all of that is this untethering from God. And because of that, we don't know why we're here. We don't know what to do and we don't know who we are. <laughs> And other than that, everything's great. I mean, you know, you have you have those three kind of catastrophic losses. And uh, this is why I think we pe- see people so confused and so angry and so frustrated like we do in our culture right now. We're, we're just missing out on so much fundamental things that we need uh, for for to, to really live life well. And I think that, that that's really what it is. I mean, I could talk about a you know, the issues of gender and the issues of racial conflict and the issue of the, you know, state taking too much, you know, too much ownership over too much of our lives and the loss of freedoms and the lockdowns, all that matters. But they're all symptoms of that deeper, deeper problem, if you ask me, which is, look, you do life without God, it does not go well. I am so glad I did ask you, John Stone Street, because that answer is worthy of study. In fact, that answer contains, I think, the seeds for three books. And I hope that, uh, I know Chuck would have written them. I hope that you'll get busy writing those things down. <laughs> but uh, something you mentioned about uh, Nietzsche's observation, which was uh, profound, but coming from the wrong space. Uh, a, yeah. a famous Russian author, Fyodor Dostoevsky, had the same observation. He had these uh, characters in his book, The Brothers Karamazov. They were atheists. Uh, one of them commits murder. The defense basically, and they're happy about this, was if there is no God, then everything must be permissible. And we see that right. come into fruition. It's not what we want, but it's it's true. And some of the things that you highlighted there also uh, line up in a category I call anti-reality, where we're being fed anti-reality yeah. on purpose. Uh, I called it gaslighting just to refer to an old uh, story about you know a guy trying to drive his wife crazy. But um, it, it really is where the, the main media that bombards us is giving us anti-reality all the time and then declaring us wrong or uh, close-minded if we don't say, yeah, that, that sounds good to me. 
it doesn't sound good to me. It sounds wrong. How do we in the culture, Mm -hmm. uh, apply the truths that you just shared is we know God's going to win, but how do we do the work that he's called us to, to, to step into some of those specifics, like dealing with these messages of anti-reality? How do we counter those effectively? And I know that you all are about that. Uh, we are. Yeah. And I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the, I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, because what you think about God is the basis of what you think about everything else. So if you lose sight of that tethering for meaning and, and, and um, uh, morality and identity, you, you have to make things up. And, and, and that's what's so crazy. I mean, I mean, here we are as Christians pointing to body parts and saying body parts matter, you know, and that is considered to be hateful and not even true. I mean, it's just it's just it's just really crazy. Um, I think there's a couple of things we got to do. Number one is we have to continually ground our feet deeper and deeper into the truth uh, that God has revealed about himself in the world and scripture in the church. Um, there's just no other. We the wind, the cultural winds are blowing. The cultural undercurrents are strong. You have to be tethered. You have to strongly ground yourself into those resources which God has given you. And uh, we don't do that enough. Uh, frankly, too much of us spend far too little time in uh, studying. Uh, and that includes even some that would maybe be on our side on various political issues. We're probably, you know, too quick to just hit, you know, forward on a post or something like that, that already agrees with us rather than actually do the hard work of looking for what is true. And, you know, that's the thing I think, who was it? I think it was maybe Oscar Wilde who said in an age of lies, then telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Um, and it shouldn't be, but it, uh, it, it needs to be, um, uh, we need to be committed, you know, to, to go back to what is true over and over and over. One aspect of that that I think is very, very important is a uh, something that um, I saw that you had uh, Rod Rare on the program uh, on his book, Live Not By Lies. Yeah, you know, that is a line that comes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And uh, he was dealing with a, you know, propagandist government and uh, a godless place and you know, he says in this this one of his last essays before he is exiled from his homeland. Um, look, I don't. I'm not saying you have to show up at every protest. I'm not saying you have to get involved in every argument, but you do have to refuse to say something that's not true, or to allow yourself to go along with something that's not true. That is a harder and harder thing to do. Uh, our friends over at Summit Ministries just did a, a, a survey on the, the the gender question. And, you know, it's it's amazing. Mainstream media would have you believe that this is a settled deal, that it's no longer any sort of debate. Most Americans don't believe that 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 biological sex can be changed, that people are born into the wrong bodies. Most Americans think it's harmful to try to enforce that on children. But a big number of those people who think that whole way of thinking is is false aren't willing to speak up because they don't want to offend anybody. And what that means is increasingly they'll go along with saying it. And we've just got to decide. 
Uh, it doesn't mean we'll win. It doesn't mean we'll be successful. We may, we may not. But T.S. Eliot said, for us, there's only the trying and the rest is none of our business. Uh, um, so I think we have to know what is true and we have to say what is true and leave the results up to God and not be, not ever allow ourselves to say what is not true. Yes, sir. And that is a challenge and it's becoming more of a challenge because it is. the pushers of anti-reality know that they have this weapon called cancel culture or whatever else you want to call it. That's like, we're going to make this cost you your livelihood if you speak out against what we're pushing and the topic mm -hmm. that you're discussing here uh, is one uh, I spoke with Dr. Ryan Anderson, who I met at your Wilberforce weekend about, he literally wrote the book about the biological nature of that question. And the fact that you cannot <laughs> change sex, um, you can change parts, but chromosomes are what they are and say what they say. Um, and it's becoming more and more uh, that the other side is adamant. You must validate what we are saying or we're going to harm you uh, in your life. And in fact, the month of June has been designated as LGBTQIA++ pride month, not acknowledgement, even just pride in saying that God was either wrong or irrelevant when he said otherwise. Right. And, and I'm not going to denounce God just to be on the, the right side of the culture. Uh, I'm going to be as aligned with God as I'm capable, as my sinful self may be. Uh, and when I fail, I'm going to try to repent and get back in line with him. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the challenge. And so I know that you at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview encourage people into that. Um, you have the Colson Fellows program that culminates in the Wilberforce weekend. Tell us a little bit about that uh, and, and the effect that you see uh, through that. Yeah, well, because we believe that every Christian is called to this sort of way of thinking and living. Um, and we, we uh, have a, a deep dive one year training program for Christians. Uh, to think more clearly, to study Christian worldview, to study the issues of the culture, and then to develop a plan. Um, one of the things about Chuck Colson is that he was a doer. He didn't think you knew it unless you actually uh, applied it. And so this is uh, the Colson Fellows Program is an uh, 11th uh, sorry an 11 month study program. It is. Uh, uh, people join a co cohort that's either regionally based or based in their church. We have cohorts in 60 different cities across the U.S. If there is uh, somebody who wants to study and they don't have a cohort in their region, although we have most regions we have covered, uh, there's a couple online cohorts. And you study together as a group. Last year, 800 uh, Colson Fellows went through this program together and joined a now alumni that span, you know, several thousand across various states and age groups and demographics. And some of these, some of our Colson fellows are retired. Some of them are in the pinnacle of their career. Some of them are just out of college wanting to, you know, be prepared and, and, and be able to uh, take a, uh, a, a real planned approach to how they're going to integrate their faith with their career. Some are pastors, some are doctors, some are homeschool moms, some are lawyers, um, some are filmmakers, um, 
and uh, some are entrepreneurs and business leaders. And the idea is just to be intentional about the forming of a Christian worldview. Um, and we also have 35 different churches right now that offer this as kind of a leadership development program within their church. And um, it's a program where you study in your local community, but you're part of a nationwide group of people. So you're studying in a group of maybe 8, 12, 15, but you're part of a group of 800 or more uh, that are studying together through the program. So um, and then, yeah, you, you mentioned um, our commissioning, our graduation takes place at Wilberforce Weekend. And so a lot of the fellows will be able to join us for that. That's a, a weekend event. We just wrapped up our 2022 conference, uh, May 17th, uh, there in Orlando, Florida, moves around a little bit. Sometimes it's in different parts of the country. But what we try to do there is go on a deep dive through the course of the weekend uh, in one aspect of Christian worldview and how it is playing out in our culture. So we talked about the image of God and the challenge of what it means to be human last year. This past year, we talked about redemption, redemption and how it's more than just personal salvation. It's a way of seeing everything. And then uh, a big part of that weekend, too, is the honoring of uh, the Wilberforce Award winner. This is someone who has um, lived according uh, to the spirit of William Wilberforce, basically applying their personal faith to their public life. And uh, it's, it, you know, in the past, it's been amazing dignitaries. It's been, uh, you know, this year I was kind of thinking about it. We've had, you know, senators and congressional leaders and human rights activists and um uh, you know, artists and uh, just amazing people. And this year uh, we had a baker and a florist uh, because what it means in America right now to apply your personal faith to your public life could mean uh, being the target of a 10 year uh, lawsuit at the hands of the government and how Jack Phillips and Baron L. Stutzman. Uh, and I, I imagine many of your listeners will know those names, but Jack is a, uh, a cake designer and uh uh, love, uh, Aurora, Colorado, Baronel Stutzman, a florist in Washington state, both targeted by the government for having uh, strong convictions about marriage and um, refusing uh, to uh, say things that were lies uh, to go back to what we were just talking about. And they did that. And uh, because of their courage, they've taught us what it means. And I, I think that that's really the whole point is that together we go on this journey and think through, okay, what does it mean to follow the Lord in this particular cultural moment? How can we do it with courage? How can we do it grounded in truth? How can we do it in love? And, uh, you know, you asked earlier about what holds the Colson Center together. There are all these different programs and, and that's the vision. Uh, and uh, we want to help, as, as Chuck Colson would say, we want to help the church be the church. And if that happens, um, boy, we are, we are excited to see so many Christians serious about living out their faith. But here's the thing. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. We live in a culture that's pretty hostile, but it's also a culture that's dark and lost. So a single candle, a single light can make an enormous difference in a culture like ours. Our culture might be convinced of anti-reality, but they still live in God's world. And that's the thing about gravity. Gravity always wins. If you choose to step off the roof, you're going to hit the ground. It may you may have a sense of euphoria between between the roof and the ground, but there's going to be some hard realities. And we're seeing that more and more and more. 
And of course, the temptation is to stand on the sideline and point and jeer and say, told you so, told you so, told you so. And but what we really need to do is, is like the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, jump in and uh, we're going to we're going to have an opportunity for ministry in our lifetime that's going to surprise us. But it's going to take courage. It's going to take clarity. It's going to take confidence. It's going to take compassion. And we can do all of those things at once. Amen. And that's powerful and encouraging. And I think that the uh, recognition that you give is well-named. William Wilberforce uh, stood up when, at the time, no one had contemplated banning slavery. Um, The United States was formed, I contend, and historians that I trust have backed me up on this, as the most anti-slavery nation in the history of the world. And uh, William Wilberforce in England was leading the charge, but uh, I watched a movie about him, Amazing Grace, and I was pleased that they pointed out that he was in uh, concert with some of the uh, founders of this country, and they were working together to the same purpose. Now, I know that here it took us 87 years and a bloody civil war to get it done, but it was a concept they had in their minds from the start. Uh, They couldn't just flip the switch. No one had ever done it before, but it was on their minds. And that kind of thing is hard, but it's right and it's true. And so pursuing those things that are right and true is worth doing in spite of how hard it is. So we can thank Wilberforce and uh, the other champions in banning slavery. Uh, It still hasn't happened all over the world, but it's happened Mm -hmm. in most countries now, thankfully. Well, uh, John Stone Street, I am so thankful that you gave me this time to uh, speak with you about Uh, your insights from the perspective uh, there at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. It's very valuable, and I hope that listeners will gain a lot of insight. There's wisdom to be had in the words that you shared, and I'm very thankful that you gave them. Have a blessed day. Hey, thanks, Clay. I appreciate this. appreciate the time with you, and uh, we're taking applications right now for the Colson Fellows, so it's not too late to join uh, for this coming school year. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.